Hey, no name calling here. Just differing opinions going head to head. With Counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. It is time for Counterpoint. In tonight with me, Anthony Fury, who you can read in the SunPost Media, and Bob Richardson, senior counsel over at National Public Relations. And I got to give you guys both big awards because. Who comes in on a holiday weekend in person? I'm, I'm pretty stoked to have some company, so thank you. Let's talk a little bit about um, the last segment that I did, speaking with uh, Howard Winkler, uh, about whether or not the Prime Minister's office is, you know, stepping over the line, shutting down parody accounts. And he says it comes pretty darn close to being, um, you know, over the line and that they should not be getting involved. Bob, let me start with you on this. Do you think it's appropriate that they're shutting down these accounts? Well, you know, I think we should just take a step back here a little. Um, frankly, I think sometimes they're funny. Um, if they are getting way out of control, then, you know, it's up to Twitter and others to take a look at them and say that's probably inappropriate. But uh, I'm never a big fan of government, and I don't care whether it's a liberal or conservative or an NDP government dictating what people can read or not read or what is parody or what is not parody. So, Especially think, when it says parody right on it. I think you need to be a little, <laughs> uh, a little cautious uh, on, uh, on those items. And, uh, and also, I think you bring too much attention to it. Uh, so, you know, I think, you know, if it's a small parody account, I think I know a number of politicians who have these accounts and they're small with a few uh, folks. Um, if you draw a lot of attention to it, it's going to go from a few folks to 10,000. And I think, uh, we may have seen that this week. Well, he does. He went from like a thousand followers to he's got now 8,000 and, and people are just loving it, but it's also created now they're doing them for the whole cabinet. <laughs> so now Seamus O'Regan's got one, Ralph Goodale's got one, like they're all popping up all over the place. Yeah. And, that, and that's, what's going to happen because when you tell people you can't do this, they're going to go, okay, I'm going to do it even more. And it's a challenge that Catherine McKenna herself did that her office did acknowledge, yes, she got in touch with Twitter and said, I believe this is more of an impersonation and I am uncomfortable with it. Well, they it. said identity theft. And, and and the big, in which it clearly says parody account and all of it. I mean, initially, you may be looking, oh, I think this is Catherine McKenna. I like how you're flipping through the channel and you see Tina Fey doing the Sarah Palin, which she did very well. And you go, oh, it's Sarah. Oh, no, it's not Tina Fey. I was in, in the Shoppers Drug Mart and there was a new Trump book out. And I thought, oh, there's a new Trump book. That's very interesting. And I got closer and I thought, oh, no, it's actually the Alec Baldwin thing. And it does say <laughs> Trump where the author name goes, but in very small letters, it says, you know, co-authored by Alec Baldwin kind of cheekily. So you get closer and you realize, and that's the thing with the parody account. Initially, does it look like Catherine Kenna? Yes, it does. Upon further reflection, like a second and a half later, you realize it's not. Now, I think there's two big problems. One is the, the horror, you know, Orwellian, big government, them cracking down on stuff. We're not there yet, but it's still uncomfortable. The other two, it shows they don't have a sense of humor. I mean, this is a major problem here that they're going to get upset about that. And Catherine McKenna, particularly, her big file carbon tax ain't too popular right now. It's against the ropes. And it clearly shows she's frustrated by all of this. I mean, it's it's like it, they're pointing out what their own Achilles heel is. Well, you yeah. know, and I think some folks, and she's a prime example of that, ought to sit back and say, how's my communications plan going? Because my view would be not so well. And I think what she needs to do is sit back and say, what have I accomplished in the last three years? Not what climate change conferences I've been to. Yeah. Uh, what have I accomplished? How uh, have we made improvements? What have we done in the, in the uh, Department of the Environment, et cetera, et cetera, and talk about that for a while. And the other I think part of the reason why she's particularly vulnerable is it's a never-ending gab fest of going to climate change conferences versus uh, telling us what she's done. And I actually think I understand that she has not a bad track record of accomplishing a number of things in her portfolio, 
So let's talk about that for a change and talk a little less about being in uh, Brussels and Berlin and London and all these other places where she carbon, seems to be carbon, every carbon. Uh, every fourth day at a at a climate change conference. Not to mention with a heat wave now, she would want to put some some sunscreen on the very thin skin she's now showing all of us. Yeah, because yeah. that's what this comes down to. It's like you're you you are a high profile minister. You have the opportunity to really kind of put uh, yourself in the spotlight, which she should have, but for all the wrong reasons now, because it's not going to let up. It's just going to get worse. And oh. given her age and station and everything, she should relax. She should, <laughs> okay. you know, like, you know, like she should be, okay, this is kind of funny and roll with it and move on. But the thing is, they are going to be the government that, you know, is supposed to stomp out fake news. And this was another part of the conversation with Howard Winkler, you know. I'm not comfortable because there's been no transparency because we know that they're trying to close down accounts. What else are they doing? I'm incredibly uncomfortable with the whole approach. I don't think the government should be getting involved with whatsoever. And people no. said, oh, this the group that they've hired, Agence France Press, is, is a major, it's like Reuters over in Europe and so mm-hmm. forth. Okay, fine. But why is then one news agency going to be looking at what other news agencies are doing? And there will be a bunch of groups that are, you know, online outlets that aren't as, as, as well regarded as Canadian press. And they might weigh in and say, well, this is kind of fake news, so you can't share it on Facebook. I mean, good heavens. I, I always think the answer... Alex, to any freedom of expression issue is is more speech, more. Yep. So just more blogs, more news outlets. And then if one person's peddling something that's false, like I remember I saw a thing a few days after the U.S. election that said, oh, Hillary actually won the, uh, Trump actually did win the popular vote. And I was like, oh, really? And then I looked at the URL, I was like, I'm not even going to bother clicking on this. And yeah. it was obviously not true. And it also, but there's also the other uncomfortable um, fact that there are, there's an incestuous relationship because there are many high up liberals working at Facebook Canada. And it, that's fine. But then you have to say, look, I work at that company, therefore you need to know this so that people feel like you're not hiding anything. That's what I think their Achilles heel is going to be, is that it's a bit too incestuous with the relationship. I want to talk about uh, Christian Freeland, who does a lot of heavy lifting and likely has no time to look at her Twitter account because she right now is um, doing a lot of the heavy lifting about the tariffs. And she was in Hamilton today. And here is the announcement she made as she met with uh, steelworkers. We're here today to discuss the measures that we are taking to protect Canadian workers like these great workers of Stelco and industries like this great steel mill against the illegal and unjust tariffs imposed by the United States on Canadian steel and aluminum. The idea that Canada might constitute a threat to American national security The legal pretext invoked by our neighbours to impose these tariffs on Canadian steel and aluminum exports is not only absurd, it's hurtful. So she she's um, was releasing the list of what we are going to uh, re, you know go after uh, the U.S. on. Do you get the sense that they're on the right track here? They did announce also a two billion dollar aid package. I, I think she said almost too much there. The, the the going over the national security thing is relitigating that at a statement like this is 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 not particularly helpful. As I've argued in columns, I, I think the issue, and as he said, because he's instructed Wilbur Ross to look into this in the past couple of years, is they're worried that any non-domestic steel coming in uh, weakens their ability for wartime production. Therefore, that's the impetus for national security threat. It's not saying that, you know, Canada is, is is a traitor or something like that. And I don't know why they have to and focus... And he's walked that back. And I... Well, well no, they're still using that provision yeah. 
in there in, in the 1962 trade provision and so forth. But the basic thing, we stand with our workers. We stand with our industry. Here's the retaliation. We don't want to do this because we love America. We love our American friends, but we got to do the retaliation. The frustrating thing with the aid package, I wish they hadn't done it from day one because when Stephen Harper bailed out the auto industry, he was like, look, guys, I don't really want to do this. This isn't who I am, but I get that this is a major you know, global issue. Okay, fine. We'll wait a few months. Now we're going to do it. I think the fact that she did it from day one tells me they're just so ready to uh, to backstop any industry like the Bombardier story all over again. And I don't, we're, we're just not at a do or die point. Has any actuary at Stelco said, oh, we're going to lay off a few people in, well, in, in the next quarter? No, but I, I don't d- think so. I have talked to a couple of steel companies. There's yeah. one steel company down in Stony Creek. They've lost 60% of their American business in just the month of June. And they, they, they're all looking at layoffs. I mean, it's, it's, I think very nerve. I think it's just the comfort of having a backup plan. But is this the backup plan that's right? Well, you know, I think she's taken the right approach. I mean, this is a minister who's done her homework. I think it's smart. It's well thought through. Um, you know, it's effectively almost nonpartisan in the manner that she's handled it. She's got a pretty broad range of support on the left and the right. Um, and, you know, from a variety of leading people in uh, in different political parties, this is somebody who's done her homework. I think she did it, you know, she did what she had to do. Um, I think they would prefer not to do it at this stage. And people say, oh, don't poke the bear, but you get to a point where you got to do what you got to do. And uh, I think we've, uh, I think we've come to that point. When uh, when you're being praised by the likes of uh, Michael Corrin and uh, <laughs> on one side and and Rona Ambrose on the other, I think you're probably uh, somewhere in the be- in between. I think you're probably somewhere on the right track. Well, I think this will be the first celebration of Canada Day where you know I'm very very nervous about what's going to happen to our country. Hey, no name calling here. Just differing opinions going head to head with Counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. I, Doug Ford, swear that I will duly and faithfully, and to the best of my skill and knowledge, execute the powers and trust reposed in me as Premier and President of Council of the Province of Ontario. So help me God. Thank you. That is Doug Ford today being sworn in as the 26th. Premier of Ontario. We've got Anthony Fury and Bob Richardson uh, here. Bob, I'll start with you because you're the political beast here um, and you've done and been part of this. In fact, I think you over the break were saying that the last time uh, you were part of David Peterson's uh, swearing in, which was also kind of much like this, where it was outside, it was non-traditional swearing in of which, a premier. Uh, which makes me 117 <laughs> years old. <laughs> well, that's okay. Bosses are good. Um, what do you think the big job, I mean, today was pomp and pageantry, a lot of celebration. He can feel good tonight, but tomorrow it's there's not going to be a lot of time for him to celebrate well it's a big job and uh it's a big job that's moving very very fast at the moment with the uh, trade issues like do you ever recall um a premier coming in with this much turmoil globally that's affecting ontario so precisely i've kind of watched this pretty closely for the last 30 years and i would say this is probably if not at the top of the heap close to the top of the heap he drew a short straw and uh he he and also with almost no time to prepare for it. Yeah. Because he went through a leadership and then through an election and in. Most of the time, these guys have been leader of the opposition for a couple of years and you've had a transition team for a year preparing and mm. doing things. So this guy's drinking out of a fire hose. So, I, you know, if, if I was to be entirely fair, I thought they did a pretty good job today. I thought the cabinet looked like it was pretty solid from a conservative perspective. 
And, uh, you know, I think... Like, he, you, you think the sky will come, you know, the sky will be blue tomorrow, the birds will chirp, everything uh, will be okay tomorrow? Uh, d- Maybe just tomorrow. Talk to us in two weeks, <laughs> but uh, but at least for the next two weeks, I think they're in pretty good shape. You know, but to, Paul, to Bob's point, you know, um, the transition, and I think, you know, from the outside looking in, most people don't understand what a giant feat that is in itself. It has been pretty seamless, and it's also been very organized, very disciplined. So this notion that everything's going to be chaotic is not coming true. And, and I like to see that, and I, and I want to see further signs that Doug is going to be a taskmaster, that he's personally going to be all over the files. Both at the same time, Stephen Harper, Barack Obama, they were both guys who were fully on top of the files. Right now, both in the U.S. and Canada, you got the two, the prime minister and the president, who are not people like that. And yeah. I think there's there's challenges in both jurisdictions for those reasons Doug, at one point during the campaign, when when the numbers showed maybe the NDP was going to win it, that was when I think he was getting a, a rather repetitive and, and dull, and he was just kind of saying the same talking points in the same files. And I had to pause, and I think his impulses are right, and, I, and I'm with, I, I support a lot of what he's saying and what of what he aspires to. But I kind of thought, do you do you actually have the depth and the drive to get the depth on these files to go and execute? This, this very ambitious agenda right now. And that's still the question I don't have the answer to and what I'm looking for. But to Bob's point, these are all people who, who are running these portfolios who you can really tell them, set them targets and get into these files, and they're going to. They're not going to be slackers, these people. Yeah, no, and that, that's a bonus for, for Ford because he's going to be on a bit of a learning curve right now. And he's got a very disciplined political team that has a wealth of experience. That is obvious that this is going to be a very disciplined team. You're not seeing any leaks to the media. They are holding their, you know, there was only three people apparently Apparently that knew who was going to be this cabinet up until they released it in a press release. And so that that's that's a big feat in itself. But his agenda is ambitious. Does that completely get derailed by the tariffs issue, given that, you know, we could be looking at some job loss in Ontario? Well, it certainly doesn't help uh, complete the agenda. There's no question about that. But, you know, Ontario's bigger than that one issue. So he yeah. needs to be able to move forward on a variety of different fronts if he's going to succeed as premier. Who would, what, would you, what would you be advising him now that you're kind of, you had the campaign, you made your promises, but then Trump came along and kind of, uh, stuck a poop sandwich in your lunch bag, what what would you be doing? I, I, I don't think you can let it completely distract you from your agenda. I think he needs to stay focused on his four or five big items. There are things that he promised to do that he can do regardless of what happens on the, on the trade and uh, tariff <laughs> issues. I mean, we joke about it, but Buckabeer is, you know, is an example, but there's a whole variety of other things in terms of energy reform, a whole variety of things that uh, that they've been talking about in the legislature for a number of years that they can focus on and they can get done. So, you know, while the trade and tariff issue is big, it's meaty, it's important, um, there's a whole variety of other things that they could uh, tackle. And uh, I would be making sure that my team is working on those issues. NDP came out criticizing because they don't like that there's less ministries. They felt uh, it was not right and they wouldn't be able to get the job done by putting, you know, energy um, uh, and indigenous issues and natural resources into one. What do you... Do you think it's a mistake to blend that many ministries? Um, you know, I think it's a, a Rick. I mean, he's got the biggest, I don't know when he's going to have a day off. I, I don't. And, you know, I was really glad to see that economic development went back to being a whole bunch of, you know, three or four things and Amen. trade is a part of it as well. Because in the past, Brad Duguid was pretty much just economic development minister uh, for a couple of years. And the whole 
economic development in the past government meant giving out many millions of dollars to corporations to say, ah, we're going to do 30 jobs and they're going to be around for four years. And when you, you did the follow-up later, it wasn't happening. It was too much corporate welfare rather than focusing on on expanding trade. So I, I, I hope we're going to see that in that portfolio. And that's going to play a big role in, in these flux issues with the, with the states. And look, I think the government did a lot of good things over 15 years. In the last two or three years, this happens at the back end. There was a lot of nonsense that went on. We didn't need to have a separate research ministry. International trade, e- economic development should have all been one. And it was turning more into about growing a bur- bureaucracy than growing the economy. And there's other examples of that. We do not need a seniors ministry. It's fine as a, as a secretariat. Same thing for francophone affairs, et cetera, et cetera. Which is Mulroney. She's going to do that with yeah. her, her So, AGB. you know, so there was, a, there was a growth in the trajectory of government that A, I think was unsustainable and B, was unnecessary. Indigenous groups, though, have said uh, in a statement today that they are not happy that their ministry is now folded into, you know, um, into a group of three. And I, I, I may be wrong in saying this. You, you can flesh this out. But when you've got a guy who's going to be up north developing natural resources and uh, indigenous affairs and energy, does it not make sense that he can do them together to complement one another to work with indigenous groups, let's say, to develop the, the, the ring of fire? Well, I think that's only one part of the yeah. indigenous ad- yeah. uh, agenda, which is economic development in the north. There are, there are a, lot a lot of, of indi- yeah. I- I- indigenous urban issues and a variety of other things. I think people quite rightly saying, geez, are they going to be neglected in this sort of new um, in this new um, mixture of, uh, of ministries? I think that's a reasonable concern to have. I will say he seems to have picked, uh, from uh, all reports, a good minister, somebody who's got some good experience, somebody who's worked also with Native bands as a lawyer in the North. So this is a guy that seems to have a, a reasonable degree of experience. Let's see how it works over the next six months. And if it doesn't, then I think they have a legitimate beef. Yeah, not not to mention they there will be ministers also helping them. So they will have parliamentary assistance. And there's a couple of guys, I think, going to be in there, including Ross Romano of Sault Ste. Marie. You know, the First Nations file is something I have a lot of philosophical firm views on in that the nation-to-nation idea that, okay, you got to give the First Nations ministry, Indigenous Affairs minister, and then it's all off in the corner because they're a whole separate nation no, no, no. I absolutely think that we need the best practices from Western healthcare, best practices from education, all respecting their, you know, their culture and doing their own thing, work together in all of that. And I think the Ministry of Health should go, okay, how can we triage and help them with yeah. health? I think, you know, we should do it all through the different uh, departments at all. Because I think when you do this, oh, they're off in a pod, this whole completely separate nation. I think that's when the troubles happen. Yeah, I think you both uh, bring up good points. At least, you know what, give it six months to a year. And then they, if they have to tweak it, then they should. I don't want pride getting in the way or, or ego. Yeah. They've got to be able to tweak it. Last question. Canada Day celebrations. What are you celebrating? I am going to be at the TFC game. On, of course. Uh, I'm <laughs> Mr. Be, Soccer. I'm going to be, Mr. Soccer's <laughs> going to be at the soccer game, and then I'm going to a barbecue, and then I'm watching the fireworks. Oh, nice. And, and, and you're glad to be Canadian. Why? I'm glad to be Canadian because it is a fantastic country and because it's warm and nice out right now. <laughs> <laughs> slightly, slightly uh, toasty. I, I'm up in the country. I'm up in the backwoods, and we're going to have a great time exploring nature with the kids and, and, and run around in the pond. Yeah, do they do they realize how important Canada is? Your kids? 
Is this something that you talk to them you, about? You know, the first, my son, he's just graduated junior kindergarten. He's yeah, just finished. And back in September, he would come home and he'd sing O Canada <laughs> to us. So. Well, that's better than mine because I said, do you know that we're celebrating our country's birthday? My my little boy said, how old's China? And I said, we got to work on this. This was last week. And I went, oh my goodness. Anyway. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Anthony Fury and Bob Richards are joining me in studio tonight. You're listening to On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio.